one, I need to explain more reasons why I am a non-religious secular person. Act Seminar, a 10-year effort to sort out the historicity of the Book of Acts, delivered disappointing results for religious Christians who had long romanticized this work as an inspirational depiction of the early religious Christian movement. The seminar concluded that Acts contains mostly ideological fiction the following was taken from weststarinstitute.org slash project slash the Jesus Seminar slash Seminar on the Acts of the Apostles. Acts is the first and most successful attempt to tell the story of religious Christian origins. It is a story so well told that it has dominated religious Christian self-understanding down to the present day. Yet today, the historicity of much of the story Acts tells can be challenged. I'm going to pause right there and say that. My deconversion from religion as a byproduct of my deconstructing religion is due in part because even as a child I always felt that I was being lied to by religionists and I always felt that Most of the religionists were not trying to purposely deceive me. But I always felt that they were being deceived themselves. I always felt that they were only teaching me what they knew how. And at the same time, I always felt that when I talked to non-religious people in my adolescence when I still identified as a Christian. I would learn the truths about each and every religion. So I've been Deconverting from religion and destructing, deconstructing religion for years. It was, it started in my adolescence. 
and I became less and less religious and more and more secular over time. Also because what I was learning from the non-religious people about religion always turned out to be true. Everything they said, I would research and they encouraged me to research what they said. They said, don't take my word for it. The facts are researchable. So the fact that they welcomed independent critical thinking made me feel comfortable researching what they would say and it always for me was comforting to to hear that from them each and every time we talked and um, there were times that we would research what they would say while they were saying it to me laptops computers and the phone. So when I would get information with them, it was always confirmed and affirmed that they were right. So I started experiencing consciously my religious disillusionment. I started consciously experiencing disillusionment when it came to religion, faith, and spirituality at that time. Technically, you can say my deconverted from religion, my deconstructed religion started when I was five. Because you know what happened to me at that time. But I shrugged off the doubts because I thought that was the Christian thing to do at that time. When I was an adolescent, I stopped shrugging off the doubts and I started conscientiously and consciously dealing with such doubts. Let's continue. Part of that challenge derives from a new awareness of the complex diversity of Christian origins. The story and act simply cannot successfully account for that diversity. But the most significant challenge to act's story of religious Christian origins um, derives from a critical study of Acts itself. Today, we are convinced that Acts is a work of imaginative religious literature exhibiting the characteristics of other such literature of its day. Pause. That makes me think of how... Many people have used religion to cope with the mysteries of our human living. Um, I've noticed that when it comes to um, 
to religion. I dare say that the gray areas of life, the uncertainties of life, the mysteries of life, the vagueness of life, the unambiguity of life, the haziness of life, the fogginess of life, the cloudiness of life, the windiness of life, the nuances of life. Causes many religionists to feel irritability, aggravation, agitation, and, and annoyance because life doesn't have absolute certainty as they were taught. And life doesn't have absolute truths as they were taught. Let's continue. When critically examined, it is unable to support the high level of trust that religious Christian interpreters have traditionally placed in the accuracy of its story. I noticed that a lot of religionists worship the traditional religious beliefs, making the traditional religious beliefs God over their lives. And often in the world of religion, the fact that they're imperfect and they are in need of constructive criticism like we all do makes them feel grouchy, grumpy, cross-patch, exasperation and frustration because they are jealous and envious of the biblical God because according to the Bible, the biblical God is perfect and they're flawed. The biblical God is in total control, and they're not. So religion teaches people to be ashamed of themselves because they're not the supreme being of the universe. Religion teaches people to be of despair and rage because they're fully human. Religion teaches people to feel dejection and fury.
because they are mortals. Religion teaches people to feel embarrassment and outrage. Towards themselves and everybody else. Religion teaches people to feel homesickness and hostility at anyone that is not a part of their faith, religion, spirituality, denomination, house of worship, and creeds. And religion teaches people to feel ferocity and humiliation. people who are the types that they consider to be more of sinners than they believe themselves to be. case I'm talking about those they claim to be outsiders while they feel that they are insiders then it says findings the ACT seminar met twice a year beginning in 2001 and concluded its work at the spring West Star meeting in 2011 Dennis Smith the seminar chair compiled a list of the top 10 accomplishments of the ACT seminar one The use of acts as a source for history has long needed critical reassessment. Two, acts was written in the early decades of the second century. Three, the author of acts used the letters of Paul as sources. Four, except for the letters of Paul, no other historically reliable source can be identified for acts. Five, acts can no longer be considered an independent source for the life and mission of Paul. Six, contrary to Acts chapter 1 to 7. Jerusalem was not the birthplace of Christianity. Seven, Acts constructs its story on the model of epic and related literature. Eight, the author of Acts creates names for characters and storytelling devices. Nine, Acts constructs its story to fit ideological goals. Ten, Acts is a primary historical source for 2nd century Christianity. It makes me think that religion encourages intellectual bitterness and psychological revulsion when it comes to being studious about 
about the origins of their own piety systems. It teaches people to feel enthrallment and complacency and cheerfulness and monkey see monkey do psyches While the Jesus Jesus seminar is sifting through the Jesus tradition, was able to find a credible core set of data about the historical Jesus. The Acts seminar has not found a core historical story of religious Christian beginnings in Acts. This is not to say that Acts is totally unhistorical, but to observe that it is less helpful in the historical reconstruction of religious Christian beginnings than previously assumed, its story has long dominated religious Christian imagination and shaped critical scholarship, but we must now rethink how we reconstruct religious Christian origins in the absence of the Acts default. It has to be questioned why a book that fails to report factual information would be included in the Bible given the assumption levied by religious Christians that the Bible is the work of God, both the writings themselves and the choice of which books should be included. That Acts was chosen to be included in the New Testament is a clue that 4th century biblical scholarship was rather crude compared to the present day, and it was seen at that time as a reliable historical document. Now it is viewed by objective scholars as the proverbial turd in the soup bowl. As a secular person, I find joviality in letting go and never picking back up again lessons that were of my stressing. I'm well aware of the fact that because of what is called evangelical nihilism, meaning, I'll give three quick examples. Natural disasters happen but they're temporary because Jesus is coming in a second. Governmental dictatorial regimes are temporary, but don't worry because Jesus is coming in any second. And climate change, I know it's a big issue, but Don't worry, because any second Jesus is coming back. Because of the evangelical nihilism, as it's called, 
That's one of the big reasons why 1,200 to 3,500 people leave the church each and every day. Evangelical nihilism is one of the big reasons why 1,200 to 1,700 pastors quit the pastorate and leave the ministry each and every month. Evangelical nihilism is one of the big reasons why. In 2019, 4,500 churches closed and 3,000 churches opened. More churches are closing than opening. Evangelical nihilism is one of the big reasons why less than 50% of North Americans self-identify as churchgoers and as church members. Evangelical nihilism is one of the big reasons why Christianity is sharply declining in parts of Europe and in North America. Evangelical nihilism is one of the big reasons why Christians will be in the minority by the year 2070, which is 47 years from now. Evangelical nihilism is one of the big reasons why thousands of churches in in North America are closing each and every year. Language evolved, meaning changed. One of the fallacies of the use of modern Bibles as the undisturbed voice of God is that languages have evolved over the centuries in ways that produce some subtle and not so subtle changes in the meaning of the original text. Thus, God's word in quotations, as, as is referred to by religious Christians, is generally not preserved in its pristine format for later generations. The following shows how the famous Psalm chapter 23 has evolved in its English translation. This is according to philipshafer.com. The 23rd Psalm, how English has changed in the last 1,000 years. And Alyssa sent me this example of how English has changed in the last 1,000 years. Modern, 1989. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me to still waters. King James Bible, 1611. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Middle English, 1100 to 1500. Our Lord goreneth me, and nothing shall be failing to me. In the stead of pasture, he set me there. 
He nourished me upon water of Philippians. Old English 800-1066. Drifter me rayeth me byeth me names goid swain, and he geset on sigheth good fiol land, and fed it whiterastathum. Following discuss how the evolution of English has in- introduced changes in the psalm's meaning. What's really interesting is how even if you don't speak Old or Middle English, you can you can just make out enough to see how the little meaning of the phrases are changing. And yeah, these were tongue twisters for me, and I. I've always been amazed that um, when it comes to uh, the verses in the Bible, that when you have etymological shiftings and vernacular alterations, that means that there may be a veering off of the path of what was originally etymologically um, recorded in the original biblical manuscripts. So So when you have word changes, phraseology changes, terminology changes, then what people believe may not have been the original intent in terms of belief regarding the Bible writers of the original biblical manuscripts. So there could be an acceptance of heresy and blasphemy that is happening in modern time by a lot of religious Christians. And I say that because the original biblical manuscript writers may go, that's not what we wanted y'all to believe. That's not what we, who we wanted y'all to value. Then it says, it starts out as he sets me down a fertile, fertile pastures, fertile pastures to, he makes me lie down to finally, he allows me to lie down. At first, the sheep is being carried by the shepherd then he's being directed by the shepherd. Finally, the shepherd is just guiding the sheep, allowing him to make the choice himself. The shepherd is growing less in direct control and becoming more passive as the passage evolved. So, I have noticed something about religion. Religion makes a lot of people... Um, overly passive, overly submissive, overly acquiescent, overly unresisting, overly yielding, overly unassertive, overly non-resistant, overly compliant, overly complacent, overly pliant, overly resigned, overly obedient, overly docile, overly tractable, overly malleable, overly pliable, overly meek, 
overly subdued, overly deferential, overly forbearing, overly long-suffering, overly patient, overly lamb-like, overly non-violent, overly supine, overly non-aggressive, and overly resistless. Religion makes a lot of people terrified of being active and horrified of being assertive. Religion makes a lot of people excessively allowing and accepting what happens and what others do without active response or resistance. Then it says, it starts out, he feeds me. F-E-D-D-E equals feed. Nourished, N-O-R-I-S-S-E-D equals nourished. Besides calm waters too, he leads me to calm waters. In the first two, the shepherd himself makes sure that the sheep gets what he needs. In the second versions, he just leads the sheep there and it's up to the sheep to take advantage of it I've noticed that um, religion causes confusion um, bewilderment bafflement befuddlement puzzlement ignorance hesitancy indecision disconcertment disconcertion discombobulation discomposure Stupefaction. Devastation. Disorientation and discomposure. And religion does cause mystification as well. Just minor changes, but considering how the sermons I heard in church always made such a big deal over the nuances of each sentence of passage like this, it's, it's interesting to me to see how, quote-unquote, God's unchanging words, as religious Christians call it, does indeed change between translations. What one language says clearly, another might infer something else completely. The only way to overcome this problem would be for God to inspire a new modern Bible. But how could, quote-unquote, he, as religious Christians think God is male, do this in a way that would not be controversial? The everlasting voice of God is simply no match for the inevitable way that human languages evolve. What is left in many instances is just a faint shadow of what was originally intended. So I noticed that Many people who are religionists have been taught that rethinking, unthinking, 
and thinking when it comes to the Bible is evil and greater evil. They've also been taught that unlearning, learning and relearning when it comes to the traditional beliefs are somehow a worse crime than child abuse. Then there's the issue of Jesus' age discrepancies. It is only slightly more than a trivial matter, but still it would be expected that the Gospels would be consistent in telling us how old Jesus was when he performed his ministry and when he was crucified. Using the first four books of the New Testament, a case can be made that he was as young as 23 or as old as 48. The following was taken from OnlySky.media. The Gospels speak of Jesus' age and each says something different. The Gospel of Luke chapter 2 says Jesus was born during a census enacted by Augustus Caesar. We know from other ancient sources that an Augustinian census occurred in 6 CE, although there was no Roman practice of requiring people to return to their ancestors' hometowns, according to Luke. Jesus was born in 60. In Luke, Jesus begins his public ministry after John the Baptist begins his. Luke chapter 3 says that John emerged in the 15th year of the Tiberius Caesar's rule, which would have been 29 CE. Jesus would therefore have been 23 or 24 years old when he, Jesus, began his public ministry. And yet, Luke chapter 3 says Jesus was about 30 years of age when he began his ministry, a discrepancy with his own dating of Jesus' birth and John's emergence. With one Passover mentioned in Luke's gospel and Passover being a once-a-year event, Jesus' ministry could have been anywhere from several months to a year long. So for Luke, there are two possibilities for Jesus' age when Jesus dies. If Jesus was 23 or 24 when he began his public ministry, then Jesus was between 23 and 25 years old when he died. If Jesus was 30 when his ministry began, he was 30 or 31 when he died. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 2 says King Herod died when Jesus was between infancy and toddlerhood. We know from other ancient sources that King Herod died in 4 BCE. So for Matthew, Jesus was born somewhere between 6 and 4 BCE. Jesus died sometime during the reign of Pontius Pilate, who was known from other ancient sources, ruled between 26 CE and 36 CE. So for Matthew, Jesus was between 30 and 42 years old when he died with his public ministry beginning several months to a year earlier. Since only one Passover is mentioned in the gospel and Passover is a once a year event. 
The Gospel of John, chapter 8, tells of a person encountering Jesus during Jesus' public ministry and saying that Jesus is not yet 50. Example, 45 years old. In John, Jesus has a three-year ministry, three Passovers ministry. So for John, Jesus was maybe 48 years old when he died. The Gospels are four biographies supposedly about the same person. So it would be expected that there would be at least a semi-consistent portrayal that should establish the age of the person highlighted. The age discrepancies noted above destroy confidence in their historical reliability. Wow. Um, what does this make me think? Um... It makes me think It makes me think that the Bible writers were extremely indifferent towards Ages, dates, days, errors, futures, generations, hours, lives, lives, moments, months, occasions, paces, pasts, points, presents, seasons, seconds, spaces, stages, terms, turns, weeks, whiles, years, allotments, bits, bouts, chrono- chronologies, clocks, continuances, durations, epochs. Eternities, extents, goes, infinities, instances, instances, intervals, junctures, lastingnesses, lifetimes, shifts, spans, spells, stints, stretches, tempos, tides, tours, lifespans, many a moons. Calendars, agendas, almanacs, annals, bulletins, cards, daybooks, diaries, dockage, journals, lineups, lists, logs, logbooks, monologies, pipelines, programs, records, registers, scats, systems of reckoning, tabs, tables, time tables, schedule of events, Chances, breaks, contingencies, fair shakes, fighting chances, indications, liabilities, likelihoods, long shots, lookings, occasions, odds, openings, opportunities, outlooks, prospects, scopes, shots, shows, squeaks, wagers, probabilities, <laughs> uh, circumstances, situations, conditions, actions, accidents, elements. Coincidences, interventions, happenstances, occurrences, stipulations, things, scenes, concerns, details, and statuses. Notice that the Bible writers are extremely different towards. Specifics, particularities, characteristics, features, attributes, aspects, facets, sides, 
parts, units, components, and accessories as well. of the incomprehensible Bible God. One of the big problems with religious Christianity is that its God is not well defined. This is odd since this figure is the central king pen of the faith. In fact, not only is this God not well defined, it is described in many contradictory ways follows take from stockindoctrination.org. What is the evidence that the God described in the Bible exists created the entire universe in six days for the sole purpose of being worshipped by human beings on earth changes does not change punishes children for their parents sins does not punish children for their parents sins tempts people does not tempt people is all merciful is all just cares whether you believe in it does not care whether you believe in it, forbids killing, requires killing, supports slavery, opposes slavery, loves LGBTQI plus people, hates LGBTQI plus people, is good, creates evil, loves everyone, hates Esau, loves everyone equally, has one chosen race, can be seen, cannot be seen, dwells in the light, dwells in darkness, Demands human sacrifice, does not accept human sacrifice, knows the future, has free will, supports war, supports peace, feels transient feelings, exists outside of time and space, can do anything logically possible, cannot kill self, cannot defeat Satan, or people who have chariots made out of iron, cannot have multiple sons, cannot lie or sin, cannot punish people for sin without dying on a cross and being dead temporarily, makes no mistakes regrets mistakes exist outside of time and space exist inside of time and space can kill itself can't do anything logically possible doesn't feel transient feelings doesn't have one chosen race is omnipresent not omnipresent has a face, doesn't have a face, has a right hand, doesn't have a right hand, has back parts, doesn't have back parts, gets jealous, doesn't get jealous, cares about the condition of the testicles of sacrificed animals, doesn't care about the condition of the testicles of sacrificed animals, doesn't care about the condition of the testicles of sacrificed humans, does care about the condition of the testicles of sacrificed humans, cares about how to make curtains and underwear for priests, doesn't care about how to make curtains and underwear for priests, Cares about grain offering recipes, doesn't care about grain offering recipes, likes to smell of burning animal flesh, dislikes the smell of burning animal flesh, likes the smell of burning burning human flesh, doesn't like the smell of burning human flesh, hates foreskins, loves foreskins. Controls its temper, uh, chooses methods of incarnation and death common throughout prior mythology, does not choose methods of incarnation and death common throughout prior mythology, reads your thoughts and judges you for them, 
doesn't read your thoughts and doesn't judge you for them, has a master plan, doesn't have a master plan, responds to our pleas, doesn't respond to our pleas, acts in the world on a daily basis to serve our interests, doesn't act in the world on a daily basis to serve our interests, and defined by direct transcendental inspiration of many different unrelated anonymous human authors, is not defined by direct transcendental inspiration of many different unrelated anonymous human authors. The rules, rewards, and penalties for our behavior is precisely... Wait a minute. The rules, rewards, and penalties for our behavior in precisely those ancient texts chosen out of many candidate texts by a particular group of primitive, fallible human clerics for inclusion in the Bible... There are no rules, rewards, and penalties for our behavior in precisely those ancient texts chosen out of many candidate texts by a particular group of primitive, fallible human clerics for inclusion in the Bible. It almost seems that the Bible authors are each describing a different God or a God that acts more like a human than a supernatural uh, deity. Could it be that this God's attributes aren't a feature of reality, but rather the product of the limited knowledge and imagination of Bronze Age, Iron Age kinds of humans. Mm. So, so according to the Bible writers, God is a black and white thinker. God is not a black and white thinker. God is a binary thinker. God is not a binary thinker. God is an all or nothing thinker. God is not an all nothing thinker. God thinks in confines. God does not think in confines. God thinks that life is lived in absolutes. God does not think that life is lived in absolutes. God is an either or a thinker. God is not an either or a thinker. Uh, God is cut and dry. God is not cut and dry. God is this or that. God is not this or that. God thinks in dualities, dichotomies, and duplexities. God does not think in dualities, dichotomies, and duplexities. Um, God is a false equivalencies. God is not a false equivalencies. God accepts nuances. God rejects nuances. God accepts gray areas. God rejects gray areas. God accepts complexities. God rejects complexities. God is simplistic and God is not simplistic. Now you fully understand all the rest of the reasons why. I practice no religion. And now you fully understand all the reasons why I am of irreligion.